Amen and amen. Welcome to Super Sunday. We appreciate you coming. It is Super Sunday because we serve the one who is the greatest of all time and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Super Sunday because we've come together together in His name and uh, we appreciate you being here today. It is uh, good to see you. As a matter of fact, we just declare every Sunday Super Sunday if it would be okay. So we are. And as a matter of fact, next Sunday is uh, Serve Sunday. I always look forward, though it's been a couple of years since we've had a Serve Sunday, but I look forward to that because, uh, because I get to wear my work boots. So you have opportunity to come and uh, you can uh, come ready to work next Sunday. Uh, praise band can come as usual. No, I'm just, I, I, they know I love them, but, uh, uh, but we encourage you to come. All kinds of things for you to do uh, next, next Sunday. And uh, we look for maybe nearly 100% participation of all those uh, who are here and all those who are able-bodied, everything from keeping foster children, putting together bags for Women's Hope, yard work for some of our widows and senior adults, uh, putting the fence around one of our women's shelters, uh, doing working with our uh, housing authority, all kinds of things to do. So hopefully you will come prepared and ready. Encourage you to sign up before, but if not, there'll be places for you to sign up as well uh, next Sunday. Box lunch provided, and we'll get straight to work. If you can serve one hour to four hours, uh, anywhere in between, that would be okay. So you come be a part of that. Take your Bibles if you would and find John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 35 through 42. John chapter 1 and verse 35. If you were not here last week or if you are can look close enough to where you see blue cards that are sitting here on the steps of the altar uh, here at the church. These are those that have been given either last Sunday, sometime during the week, or this morning in the early service in which... Uh, Continuing our theme of who's your one, we want everyone to have at least somebody that they are, at least one person in which they are praying for, in which they're inviting, in which they're seeking to share with, and uh, we want to encourage you. At any time, you do it during our invitation time or hymn of commitment at the end, put your name on the cards or some there that in the back of your seats, put your one first, the same name on both cards, you keep one and leave one here at the altar, uh, and we'll be praying for these uh, this month as well. Going to leave them up for the month of February, but we want you to continue to be committed uh, to praying, inviting, and sharing uh, throughout the month, or excuse me, throughout the year of 2022 and maybe even beyond. Uh, but we're going to want to encourage you. To part of our DNA of what we do is we're always seeking to share with those who are lost or those who are unchurched. And it continues to be our theme and our messages today as we see those who were brought to Jesus either from the Gospels or from Acts. And so we're in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 35, and as we read these verses, the very first three disciples and followers of Jesus. Familiar story for some of you. This now is the Word of God. John chapter 1 and verse 35 says this, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means 
Peter. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. From this, from this passage in the first disciples, our followers of Jesus, we are to discover if we are to grow in Christ, if we are to influence even the one in which we are praying for, we know that we, there may need to be some changes in our life. Now, when we say change, we know sometimes that change is inevitable. Think about the changes that have taken place in your world or in your life over the last couple of years, and I'm sure that they have been many. Uh, sometimes we think of change, we're leery of change, but you also need to know unless we are changing, we are not growing in Christ. So change must be inevitable. It must be important for all those who are followers of Jesus. In fact, it was the Greek philosopher Heraclitus who said that change is the only constant in life. It means that the world's always changing and people are always changing. Now, you remember the serenity prayer. Lord, help us to change the things that we can, accept the things that I cannot change and know the wisdom or have the wisdom to know the difference. Our prayer should be, Lord, help us to be transformed because of the difference that Jesus has made in our life and to become more like Him and to point more and more people to the cross of Christ. The John that is mentioned here, of course, in the passage is John the Baptist, forerunner of Jesus, cousin of Jesus, who had come to prepare for His coming. He lived in the desert. He was uh, baptizing to the Jordan River. His diet consisted of locust and wild honey. And uh, he was the one that baptized Jesus. As a matter of fact, before this passage... Happened. He had already baptized Jesus, testified about that baptism. And John the Baptist had his own disciples, but his purpose was to point other people to Jesus. Uh, John willingly gave up his disciples to be able to follow Jesus. So one day, John is standing there with his disciples, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. This is the one in which John had been preaching about, even before the baptism of Jesus. You might remember John chapter 3 in verse 30, when it was talking about how the disciples of John were now, or those who were being baptized by John are now following Jesus. John the Baptist said, he, meaning Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. Some of you might have your notes there today. I want you to notice there is a divine process that has taken place in the Bible and throughout history, whereby those who find Jesus tell others who need to find Jesus, or those who know Jesus tell others who, who need to know Jesus. We see it here in this story. We want to be part of that divine process, the way in which God intended. There may need to be some changes if that's going to take place or if we're going to do it even more effectively. Again, we're not talking about change for change's sake, so that, but so that we might have an encounter with Jesus and so that our lives might be transformed and we might be able to point to others. Now, think of it this way. Changes happen in this world. Changes are going to happen no matter to who you are, what happens in our life. Lots of changes have happened. So if they're going to be, then inevitably, then why aren't we uh, be sure that we are intentional in being sure that the changes taking place are happening in our life and we are allowing, our, allowing Jesus to do what He needs to do so that those changes are for the better. So I'm going to invite you this morning. Like these first three disciples, I'm going to invite you to come and see what Jesus has to say, what His Word has to say, so that we might be able to see the changes that need to take place in our life. It may be, if you want to be part of this divine process, you might need a change of direction. You might need a change of direction. When they heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, 
They follow Jesus. Now, the Lamb of God is a reference. One of the first references, of course, has to do with the Israelites when they were in Egypt and the Lamb that was slain that was put on the doorpost uh, on the night of the first Passover. Uh, spread on the doorpost in Egypt that saved the Israelites during the time of the Exodus. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about the Lamb to come who would be led to the slaughter for our sins. And then in the last book of Bible, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12, John, the same gospel writer that we're reading, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The following of the disciples uh, represent a fundamental truth. No matter what we're doing, no matter how good we think we are, how good we think we have it, no matter what we're doing, that if the footsteps of Jesus change, if the footstep, if we see the steps of Jesus, we need to follow Christ no matter where He leads us. Drop everything and follow Him. If we, need, if we see and know that Jesus is at work and we understand that He's always at work, we need to join in with Him. In other words, do what we must do to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, knowing that from time to time, if we pay attention, He's going to give new direction. Now, the two disciples that are mentioned here who were disciples of John the Baptist, one was Andrew and another that was an unnamed disciple. It is likely that this unnamed disciple was John, the brother of James, uh, who becomes, of course, one of the twelve disciples, the writer of this gospel. John never mentions himself by name in the gospel, sometimes called John the Beloved or the one whom Jesus loved. And I picture this as much taking place when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb that... It's not something he did in private, but he does, did something there in public, and two of the disciples followed. Well, how come more disciples did not follow? Well, maybe they were comfortable with the way things were. Comfortable living in the desert with a diet of locust and wild honey. You think anything would be better than a locust, than a diet of locust and wild honey. Many people are comfortable, though, where they are, but God did not call us to be comfortable. I have to admit to you that most of the times that God has called me to make a move, I or my family and I were fairly comfortable where we were. But somehow God let us know that He had other plans. Even now, I know that God has called us together as a church for a purpose for this time and this place. Some of the specifics that the Lord wants us to do, we know and we understand. We're seeking to follow those. Some we don't know as of yet, but we will be open and in tune. We need to be careful because... Things are going fairly well for us as a church as we come out of the pandemic. More and more people, of course, are coming back. We have guests and new members financially doing well, but we need to be careful because the Lord didn't call us to be comfortable. We want to be in tune and in step with what God has in store. Be alert to what the steps of Jesus are. However, many people are not spiritually sensitive to the footsteps of Jesus. What we may think as obvious Sometimes or others are blind to and vice versa. In order for these first two disciples to recognize the Lamb of God, they had to be in tune spiritually. Let's ask the question from the passage, how is it that we can be sure that we are in steps with Jesus? How can we be sure that we're in tune and be able to see the steps of Jesus and be able to follow those? From the passage, we learn some keys here. First of all, we need to be diligent in the Word. The two disciples of John the Baptist were Andrew and possibly John, the gospel writer, had already been students of Scripture. When they heard the phrase, Behold the Lamb, they knew what John the Baptist was saying from the Scripture and for the very things that John the Baptist told them. 
We cannot hope to see Jesus' footsteps if we're not in the Word of God on a regular basis and on a daily basis. Recently, a survey was taken by a Christian university where students from strong conservative evangelical churches who are believers declared an unfailing love for God, top academically in their classes. They were asked some basic questions about the Bible. They took this survey or biblical questions uh, that they came Many of them didn't know who came first, Abraham or Moses. Many of them didn't know if Barnabas was in the New Testament or the Old Testament. They couldn't put a list of the five major books of the Bible in order. Exodus, Psalms, Isaiah, Matthew, and Romans. In fact, they're backwards there that you've got them on your screen just to see if you're paying attention. When asked if Paul if believed in the physical resurrection, many of them said no. One was sure that Jesus was baptized in the Dead Sea. And many thought that Paul was one of the original 12 disciples. Now listen, biblical knowledge alone will not be what all we need. But to be in step with Christ without being in the Word may be impossible. But also, not only be diligent of the Word, we need to be ready to follow. In order to be in tune with Jesus, we must have a willing spirit ready to follow. We can't wait to see which direction the footsteps of Jesus are going and then decide if we're going to follow. Notice and look again at chapter 1 and verse 37. In this short verse it says, first of all, what happened? They heard and then they followed. We also notice they stayed right behind Jesus. Sometimes we might even like to maybe go ahead of Jesus or maybe stay pretty far back spiritually and not get too close. But we're to stay in step. We're to stay in tune and stay with Jesus and follow Him closely instead, ready to wait if necessary and ready to go. Also, you need to check your steps regularly. Check your steps regularly, if not, or daily, if you're going to be growing like we should, we'd be doing as disciples of Christ. Your footsteps will be moving in the sense that they will constantly be adjusting to be aligned with Jesus, confessing our faults and sins, asking Jesus to keep us in line with His Word. So let's ask this morning, are you diligent student of the Word? Are you ready to follow wherever He leads? Will you regularly keep a check to see if you're in step with Jesus? Followers of Jesus will often have a change of direction, if nothing else, to be sure that we are in step with Him. Also, if you're going to be part of a divine process, you may need a change of schedule. You might need a change of schedule. What what did Jesus ask the disciples when... Scripture says that they asked that Jesus asked them questions once they saw once he saw that they were following him. Verse thirty eight, he said, "What are you seeking, or what is it that you want?" There are lots of verses in the Bible that promise that all those who seek Jesus or all those who seek the Lord will find him. And I think all details uh, are kind of important in the Bible, and in particular, it says that when they followed, it said that Jesus turned toward them. He turned. Reminds us when we follow Him, Jesus meets us more than halfway. In fact, He's already taken the initiative toward us. Augustine said, We cannot even have begun to seek for God unless He has already found us. He's waiting for us. Even our uh, walking down the aisles kind of uh, reflection or symbolic of following Christ. Those who come down the aisle publicly profess Christ perhaps in a church service. I've heard many people give testimony of how they have 
hung on to the back of a pew or the back of a chair, white-knuckled, wondering about whether they're going to make it down the aisle or not. And then they've also testified that as soon as they let go and as soon as they took that first step, the rest of the steps came easy. Kind of a reflection of the fact that Jesus meets us more than halfway. More than that, He's already made the initiative to come toward us. Jesus' question was more than a casual question. He was examining their motives. Jesus already knew what their motives were, but they needed to examine their own motives. Were they following because they were curious? Were they looking for a political Messiah? Or were they looking to come and to be able to know Jesus as Lord and Messiah and learn from Him? It's a question for all of us. It is a question that Jesus often asks. In fact, James and John came to ask Jesus that they could be on the right or the left of them. Jesus asked, what is it that you want? Before they were able to ask the question. When he met blind Bartimaeus, even he asked blind Bartimaeus, what is it that you want? It seems pretty obvious what blind Bartimaeus would want, be able to see. But he asked that question probably because it's more than just being able to see physically that he wanted to be able to see spiritually as well. This, their answer reflected more than just a casual interest. They used that most respected title, Rabbi, which literally means my great one, but it was used of the Jewish by students for their teachers. The fact that they called him rabbi, wanted to know where Jesus stayed, so they wanted to be Jesus' disciple. Notice that they used the Alabama vernacular, where do you stay, not instead of where do you reside or where do you live. And they were saying, we don't want to just talk to you here. We want to know where we can keep coming back and talk to you more and more and be able to learn more. I don't know what they planned that day, but they came to see where he lived and spent the day with him. Now, we're busy people, probably most of us, but my goodness, we make the time for those things that we really want to do, that really feel like that we need to do. We make times for hunting or for the golfing or fishing or movies or ball games or trips or shopping. I imagine today, even on this Super Sunday, there are many that found themselves too busy to make it to church. But the sports bars and the betting sites for the Super Bowl and the ballparks and restaurants today probably will be full. Two things in your life that are indicators of what's important to you. It's how you spend your money and how you spend your time. We're not so much talking about money today, though that is often reflective of what you think is important, but also how you spend your time. And while certainly I think the church should be important, I'm not talking really about being at church or just the hours that you spend on this campus as much as walking and spending time with Jesus. So let me suggest to you two kinds of uh, Schedule changes that might need to occur. One of those is devotional time, and the other is deliberate time. Now, devotional time, time spent specifically and quietly with Jesus in prayer and Bible study. And deliberate time, when you're at work, or when you're at home, or at school, or on the ball field, or wherever you may be, that you deliberately take Jesus with you to be your guide and to be able to guide your actions and your attitudes. And I would suggest if there's a places that you go that you cannot deliberately take Jesus with you, well, then there might be a definite schedule change that may need to take place. But Jesus said, answer their question about what they wanted. He said, come and see. His gracious invitation for them to come and spend time with Him is the same invitation that He's offered to all. He offers today to people whose hearts are open to Him. This invitation... Come and see, in fact, becomes the kind of the theme throughout this gospel. It's the invitation that we want to offer. 
And then we want to give others. It's that invitation for a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, I get it. Boy, we're, we're busy people. But I want you to imagine here for just a moment, anybody could, who could have a busier schedule than Jesus might have at the beginning of his three-year ministry in which he would be headed to the cross and he would be changing the world and be changing history. Yet what does he do? He finds time to spend time with a couple of would-be disciples. And it reminds us that he wants to spend time with us as well. What changes Jesus brought to your schedule? Jesus is sometimes called the rock. And maybe for many reasons, but one reason he may need to be called the rock is so that every day that he'll be the rock of your day, of your time and your relationship and all the pebbles in the sand of all those things that we consider important find their place around the one who is the rock. Also, to be a part of that divine process, we learn from God's word that you may need a change of conversation. You might need a change of conversation. Andrew's day with Jesus brought a change in his conversation. Wouldn't you, know, wouldn't you like to know what they talked about? We're not told uh, in this scripture what they talked about. Afterward, though, we know that Andrew first went to find his brother Simon and said, We have found the Messiah. His speech changed the day he met Jesus. He had something new to talk about. I've known many of people who've, many of persons who have come to know Jesus and knew that they needed changes in their life. One of the first things they realized that they needed to change was their speech, were the words that were coming out of their mouth, the where they come from maybe not using quite wholesome words or words that would be edifying. Suddenly they realize they've met Jesus and they need to start using a little bit better speech. Hello, do we speak to anybody? Is that how possible that we need to change our speech from time to time? Teenagers and children, particularly maybe when parents aren't around or other adults, they'll say maybe to their friends, maybe let a cuss word fly every now and then. Hopefully that'll make them look a little bit bigger, maybe in somebody else's sight or their friends and how they view them. After all, it's what they hear on most of the shows that we watch on television, a lot of the movies that we have on the ballparks and the hallways and all of these things. Well, well, what's the big deal? Well, James thought it important. You remember James, the one who was the brother of Jesus, he wrote in James chapter 3 and verse 10, out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. He gives this uh, fairly simple but not always easy to follow. Uh, He said, my brothers, this should not be. James thought it was a no-brainer if you're going to be talking about Jesus. Be careful of whatever else comes out of your mouth. Well, it's how everybody talks these days. My goodness, everywhere you go, it's just kind of the way things are today. Well, what an opportunity to be able to be different than the rest of the world. What an opportunity to be a shining light and to open doors and other people to say, hey, everybody else talks this way. Everybody else uses this kind of language. How come you don't? And be able to tell them a little bit more about Jesus. Well, changing conversation means more than just not using foul language, but also gossip and not lying and uh, crass jokes and things that tear other people down. One of the best ways to stop unfit language in inappropriate conversation is to replace it with that which is positive. Well, what kind of conversations are coming out of your mouth? What can you do to clean up your conversation and speech? Remember, 
We're seeking to bring change and to be transformed and even with our words and our lips so that we might be able to invite others to come and see. Well, what can we do? Well, we could practice praising Jesus. We could say words of praise and thanksgiving. Get in the habit of telling what Jesus is doing in your life and those around you. It's the best remedy for changing your speech. One reason I bring this up is because Fishermen kind of have a rough reputation and sometimes a rough reputation in those days and maybe even these days as far as having uh, the words that come out of their mouth. Andrew's conversation changed from talking about fish or the family business or even rough talk to something more important. He said, I have found the Messiah. Remember, Andrew was one that was known for bringing people to Jesus. Andrew was the one who at the feeding of the 5,000 broke the brought the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. In John chapter 12, there were Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. And they first of all came to Philip, probably because Philip was a Greek name, and then Philip brought him to Andrew. Andrew brought him to Jesus. We have not one recorded word from Andrew, but his actions and his conversation were centered around bringing people to Jesus. Well, is there such a thing as a silent witness? I mean, for those of us who really don't like to speak up. I suppose certainly by our actions and our attitude, we certainly should be able to point others to Jesus. But when they ask or ask we have the opportunity, the natural response is that words and sounds come out of our mouth that are edifying and that speak about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's part of the divine process in which we are talking about. And then the word for found, when Andrew said, we have found the Messiah... It's the same word where we get the word eureka. It's an exclamation that something great has been found that cannot be kept to ourselves but must be shared with others. It's the great discovery that we must also share. This should be the greatest change in our conversation. But also, if you want to be part of the divine process, then there may need to be a change of name or a change of heart. Andrew was successful in persuading Simon to come and see. And what Simon saw in Jesus certainly was significant, but also was significant in what Jesus saw in Simon. As a matter of fact, if you notice that verse uh, 42 and what he said, but when Jesus looked at Peter, it was no ordinary look. But it means to look intently and Simon's encounter with Jesus would change his life. Jesus divinely looked at Andrew's brother and said in verse 42, You are Simon, son of John. Notice verse 42. You are, you shall be. In the King James, thou art, thou shall be. He looked at the heart of Simon. He saw not only who he was, but what he could be. His new name was now Cephas in Aramaic. Peter Petros in the Greek. A small stone broken off of a large rock. We would have called him Rocky. Now, Those who knew Simon would have thought how ridiculous to call this hot-tempered, hot-headed, impulsive fisherman Rocky. Nobody would believe this man as weak as water and self-control would become the rock, a key builder of the Christian church. But every time Simon was called Peter, it was a reminder of a new relationship that began that day. It was an admonition of the name that he was to live up to. And from this point on, he would be better known as Peter than he would be Simon. Took a great deal of work. Transform weak Simon into the one who's called a rock. And it didn't happen overnight, but Jesus made a difference. 
to whereby Peter was the one who stood up and preached the first sermon in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost where 3,000 new souls came into the church. It was Peter who was called before the Sanhedrin and before the court, told to stop preaching about Jesus in fear of imprisonment or in fear of losing his life. When it says it comes to choosing, you must decide. But as for me, we will obey God and not man. Change is not so bad if we let Jesus do the changing. And we're given a new name. We are given a new name. Christian, little Christ, a name first given by the unbelievers in the city of Antioch about those who claimed Christ because they were resembling Christ. And another name that we're given, we're also called children of God, quite a name to live up to. But the name means very little unless the heart's been changed because we've met the Savior. Three disciples' hearts were touched that day by Jesus, Andrew, Simon, and an unnamed disciple whom we believe to be John, the writer of this gospel. They followed Jesus' invitation to come and see and then spent the rest of their lives offering an invitation to the world to come and see and to meet Jesus. I was, uh, I was looking through some older illustrations that I had used in the past. Sometimes I'll use the same illustration over again. I don't know if anybody notices or not. I thought you might not have been paying attention the first time. So I thought if it fit good and it fits. So I came across this illustration. And I'm going to tell you when I used it. I used it on April the 6th, 2014. Go ahead and put, put that up if that's next. This is what I said on that day. Bruce Pearl's now the head basketball coach for Auburn University. Who would have thought that I would use him for a sermon illustration? I said on that day. Coach Pearl comes to the plains with some reputation, some good and some not as good. But let me prophesy about this. His reputation is such that when it comes to fans of Auburn basketball, many will come and see. And as we know in any sport, it will depend on the victories if they'll come and stay. You didn't know I was a prophet, did you? Well, probably anybody could have said something like this as well. Uh, it is the invitations that we give out to come and see. Oh, it makes a difference, though, because as the disciples did, that they came and stayed. It makes a difference because we've been asked to come and see Jesus. It makes a difference that we come and stay. We want to give the invitation for others to come and see. But what we really want them to do is to come and stay. This we know about those who have an encounter with Jesus. The victory is already won. Reputation is talked about in this illustration. Reputation about Jesus is up to the church. In other words, it's up to you and me and how much we love one another, how much we love Jesus and how much it is that we love the world. Sometimes uh, in uh, preparing, I'll, I'll struggle a little bit with a passage and maybe something that seems a little bit insignificant. And I want to share this one with you. Last part of verse 39, might notice, uh, John chapter 1 and verse 39, it says, They stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, exactly what that means can be understood in a couple of ways. Now, in the Jewish way of telling time, the tenth hour would be counting time from when the sun comes up about six o'clock, so it would be four o'clock in the afternoon. As a matter of fact, some of your Bibles might say four o'clock, or maybe in the margin, there's about four o'clock in the afternoon. So if that's true, it means they stayed the day uh, probably until about 4 o'clock. But to make matters a little more complicated, John, the gospel writer, he writes at the end of the first century. He writes particularly for those who are not Jewish. 
That's the reason sometimes it's explained in here, like in verse 38, where it talks about rabbi and explains that that's the teacher. Not so that we as Americans 2,000 years later will be able to understand, but so those who were not Jewish might be able to understand about that. Or in verse 41, where it talks about the one who is the Messiah, that is the Christ. He had to explain that. You'll find that in no other gospel. But in John likes to explain those things in case the ones who are reading do not understand those words. But also in John's way or the Gentile way of thinking, they would tell time like we tell time. Like 10 o'clock, it was the 10th hour, meaning 10 a.m. Well, that also fits the context of what we're reading, meaning that uh, they came at 10 a.m. and they stayed the whole day. Am I losing you here? I don't want to lose you here. I, I realize we spent a little more time maybe on something that seems insignificant, but I don't think it is. Because what I think was really happening here, John, the unnamed disciple, the one who was the gospel writer, what he was doing, he wasn't just telling you, well, we began at 10 or we finished at 4. We know that they spent the whole day. I think what John was declaring, that this visit began at this particular time, at this particular moment, this very hour, he met Jesus and his life changed. Tenth hour of the day, whether he meant it at 10 a.m. or 4 p.m. You see, the hour of the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, there's something different about you. Jesus wants to change you into what you were meant to be. You can't do it yourself, and you must put yourself into the Lord's hands. But understand what you're called is not as important as trusting in Christ and bringing others to the cross. What you're called is not as important as putting your trust in Christ and bringing others to the cross. As a Christian who submits to the Lordship of Jesus, there will be changes in your life. And the improvements that will never stop. Today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're something different than what you once were. And tomorrow, if we continue to put our hands in the Lord Jesus, you'll be something different than what you were today. But we must be intentional in putting our hands, putting ourselves into the hands of Jesus so that we might be able to continue to respond to the invitation and continue to be able to give that invitation in an effective way for other people to be able to come and see so that they might be changed. Or, does this need to be the hour of placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? For those who are here in this room or those who may be listening live stream today so that you can say a little before noon... On February 13th, on Super Bowl Sunday, the day before Valentine's Day, I placed my faith in Jesus. I made it public before the church that Jesus is my Savior and I will forever be changed. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have come to be able to be in your place of worship. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for watching over us. We thank you for the invitation that you give us to come and see, to come and know, to come and stay with you. Father, we pray that all of us who are believers here in this room, that even now, Father, we may recognize that you want to continue to make changes in our life so that we might be more like Christ and so that we might be better witnesses. Make it happen in our life and we commit ourselves to you even now. Father, we pray for those who may be listening today or those who may be here that do not know you as Lord and Savior, that need to give their heart and life to you. May today be the day that they call upon you, asking Christ to forgive them of their sins and asking Jesus to be Savior and Lord. For we know that you hear that prayer and you respond. Thank you, Father, for the opportunities you give us each and every day. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.